0: Well, please turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, we have two readings, first of all, from the book of Genesis, once again, Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter three, and we're going to read verses one to 15 of the chapter, Genesis three, and then we're going to the opposite end of our Bibles, uh, turning to the book of Revelation, and we're going to read Revelation chapter 12. Last week, we brought our series in Revelation to a close, uh, having, for now at least, having finished our studies in the first three chapters, uh, but we're reading this morning Revelation chapter 12. It ties in very well with what we're considering from Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. It's my intention today to preach uh, both this morning and this evening from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I had intended to preach one sermon from Genesis 3 verse 15, but in the course of preparation decided that there was too much to try and cram into one sermon. And so we're finishing our our time in Genesis today uh, with two sermons from verse 15 here in chapter 3. But we'll read the first 15 verses. Let's hear God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Then, if you keep your place there in Genesis 3, but turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, and we read the whole of this chapter together. Revelation 12 and verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, and he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan and times, and half a time. The serpent poured, out, poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Amen. This is God's word. Please turn back with me then to Genesis chapter three. And as I say, we're looking at verse 15, both this morning and this evening, and our theme this morning is, "The serpent crusher is coming. The serpent crusher is coming." Genesis 3:15 again says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman." And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Have you ever noticed that all the best stories are pretty much the same story? Every great story, every story that reaches across countries and cultures and times is pretty much the same Think of the most popular books of all time, The Lord of the Rings or the Harry Potter series, which also went on to become some of the most popular movies of all time. And whether you like or love those books or not, those books are essentially about good versus evil. Dragons and villains must be fought. Needy people must be saved. And in the case of Harry Potter, they must be saved from dark, dangerous people who gather under the symbol of a snake, Oftentimes as well, our favourite stories centre on one unlikely but unstoppable hero uh, against all the odds, taking on all the enemies and saving everyone else. Uh, Until very recently, the trend is beginning to change, but until very recently, almost all the, the, the most popular action films were all about one man against the world. And again, one of the most popular current series of books, the Jack Reacher series They're always about one man turning up in town who sees some form of injustice and sorts it all out himself. The Lord of the Rings all comes down to what Frodo does at Mount Doom. The Harry Potter series all comes down to Harry taking on his worst enemy. Why is every story essentially the same and why do we love them so much and why do we keep on wanting to hear them Well it's because from almost the very beginning of time itself friends a real life struggle has been going on in our world between good and evil. Those stories that I mentioned earlier usually begin with the world of the hero being disrupted. A villain comes in and ruins things and people need help. And that's exactly our situation today as, as we've seen In the last few weeks studying Genesis chapter 3, a villain has come in and ruined things and people need help. Every great story we love is a little alternative version of the one true story of our world. The Bible is made up of 66 books written by about 40 different authors over the period of about 1500 years but there is one story unfolding across all those books and all those years. And that story boils down to just three or four lines here in Genesis 3.15. God speaks to our enemy, the devil, who had taken the form of a snake. He tempted Adam and Eve, our first parents, into sinning against God. In response, God curses Satan and he promises the destruction of Satan for what he has done. But even as he does that, friends, God announces great good news for sinful human beings. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. It's no exaggeration to say that if you understand this verse, you understand the message of the whole Bible. Yes, there are things in the Bible that are hard to understand, but the one great story of the Bible, friends, is not hard to understand. Boys and girls, you can understand the one great story of the Bible just as well as your mums and dads and grannies and granddads. It's all here in Genesis 3.15. Christians over the years have been fond of referring to this verse as the first announcement or the first gospel. It's the first time in the Bible that good news has been announced, declared, and it is declared, friends, by God for needy sinners. It's a verse ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take this morning and this evening to think about the significance of this verse. Two points this morning. And two points this evening. And so, first of all, this morning, I uh, want us to think about the fact that God has planned our salvation. God planned our salvation. We read earlier how Satan appeared in the paradise that God provided and how he lured Adam and Eve into sin. And we saw last week the, the sense of shame and the separation that Adam and Eve's sin brought between them and God. They felt utterly ashamed. They ran away. And God comes to them. Uh, They don't come to God. God comes to them. And before he disciplines Adam and Eve for their sin, he deals with the serpent. And God actually curses the serpent. He deals with the serpent far more severely than he deals with Adam and Eve. Look what he says to the serpent in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, enmity. And that word enmity there means ongoing, deeply rooted hostility. It's got the sense of even violent engagement, violent clashes between two parties that deeply dislike, perhaps even hate one another. We live in a nation that sadly bears the scars of 30 years of enmity and hostility and even After that 30 years, even to this day, sometimes there are still reminders of the violence between two sides of a conflict in Northern Ireland. And there are, of course, a multitude of similar and even worse conflicts in our world today. God says there's going to be conflict. There is going to be enmity between Satan and the woman. And yet this this should come as a great surprise. It would have been a surprise to them it's a surprise to us at this juncture in the Bible because, because up until now, Eve and the serpent have been friends. They haven't been enemies until now. They have, they have been allies. They have been working together. The serpent successfully led Eve into sin and Eve, for her part, trusted the serpent and went along with the serpent. We read earlier about how Eve... Began to look at the tree differently because of what the serpent said to her. She she desired it. She agreed with the serpent's assessment of it. She became an accomplice of Satan in sinning against God. Eve and Adam had become a friend of Satan. But now God says that's going to change. They are no longer going to be allies. They are going to be enemies. There will be a, a violent struggle between them. And where is this violent struggle going to come from? Why is, why is everything going to change between them? Well, again, friends, look carefully at the verse. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will do it, God says. God himself is going to intervene God is the one who is going to change things. He's not going to allow this dirty little alliance between Satan and Eve to continue. How did God do that? Friends, he does this by changing the hearts of Adam and Eve, changing their minds, changing their hearts, making them new people. And we see the evidence of that at the end of the chapter because In verse 20 of chapter 3, we touched on this briefly last week, but it says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And that, friends, is an act of faith on the part of Adam. That death is not going to have the final say. That life, liberty, a saviour is going to come through Eve. And that is evidence for us of the faith that Adam and Eve had, that God intervened and changed them. Adam and Eve, by falling into sin, chose a life of rebellion. They changed in their nature. From the perfect nature that they had when they were created by God, their nature changed. It became corrupt, it became sinful. But God is going to change them again. God's going to give them a new nature, make them new people who are no longer friends of the serpent. Where once they went along blindly, and willingly with what the serpent said, they're not going to just go along with it anymore. What Satan leads and entices them to do, they will recognize as sin against God, rebellion against God, which is to be avoided. It's not to say that Adam and Eve never sinned again in their lives. They weren't any longer perfect people, but there is now a struggle. It's not just a given that they're going to go along with everything that the serpent puts in front of them. They know the difference between good and evil. And this is all because of God. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And, friends, here is something profoundly, deeply, crucially important to know about our salvation it is all God's work. It is all God's work. Adam and Eve up until this point have not even so much as said sorry for their sin. In fact, we saw last week they tried to make excuses for their sin. They tried to blame each other. They tried to blame the serpent. There was no way that they could make up for what they have done. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. But God has come. And God has cursed Satan. And in doing so has announced good news for Adam and Eve. I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will change them. I will change the whole direction and purpose of their lives. Friends, salvation is of the Lord. It is his work from beginning to end. You wouldn't congratulate a drowning man for throwing his arms around the shoulders of the swimmer that comes to rescue him. The drowning man only had to do that because he got himself into deep water and he couldn't swim in the first place. When it comes to rescuing the drowning man, all the drowning man has contributed is the need to be rescued. And similarly, we see here in Genesis 3, all that we have contributed to our salvation, friends, is our need to be saved. All that we have brought to the table is our sin. Paul says in Titus 3 verse 5, he that is God through Christ saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, <coughs> but according to his own mercy. His own mercy. God taking pity, God loving us before we had loved him. And Someone might say, well, but doesn't the Bible command us to repent? Don't we have to cry out and ask God for forgiveness of sin? Well, certainly we do. We are commanded to do that in Scripture. Jesus Christ came and preached repentance from sin, to turn away from your sin, to hate your sin. But Jesus also said in John chapter 3 to a man called Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must become a new person. That before we even have any desire to ask for our sin to be forgiven, God by his word and spirit has been at work within us. Dead people don't make any decisions and the Bible tells us that we were dead in our sin but God made us alive, caused us to be born again and then we cry out in repentance and faith. Reverend Donnelly preaching in this verse said, it's very, he said, you don't repent so that you're born again, you repent because you're born again. Because God has made you a new person And deep in your soul, you no longer have desire for sin. You have a desire to defeat sin. You have a desire to fight your sin. You have a desire to fight Satan and you have a desire to obey God. And friends, we are either on one side of this or the other. We are either part of the offspring of Eve, meaning those who are born again and repent and fight against the evil one, or we are the offspring of the serpent those not yet changed, those not yet saved. And people might think that sounds ridiculous to say that somebody could be the offspring of the devil, children of the devil. That's exactly the phrase that Jesus used to describe those who were most hostile to him during his earthly ministry, children of the devil. It's not to say that someone worships the devil or is possessed by the devil. It's about whether someone is in warfare against the devil. It's whether someone is actively fighting against their sin day by day and has a love for God at the, at the, in the center of their being. First John 3 verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother Do you love God do you have a desire to obey God do you care about his word do you want to be with and learn from other people who love God and his word do you love the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for you on the cross do you believe that he is alive this very minute as alive as you or me and that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead you and me If you do believe these things, it is because God has saved you and he has done it for the glory of his own name. I will put enmity between them. I will do it elsewhere. The Bible says, I will do it, declares the Lord, for his own glorious name. And again, this doesn't mean that if we're born again, we never sin. As Christians, we still do. But if we're Christians, our sin bothers us. We hate it. We struggle against it. We have a conscience when we commit it. And it's good evidence, all of that, that God has changed us, that we are children of God rather than children of the devil. And we believe that just as God spoke in Genesis 3 and changed Adam and Eve, we believe that God still speaks today and changes the lives of men and women. He does that when his word is proclaimed and preached and told. And Perhaps even today, his word and spirit will save you. Perhaps today you're an enemy of God. You have no love for him until today. You've had no love for the Lord Jesus Christ, no desire to obey his word. But even as you hear these things preached, God is calling you. God is birthing new life in you. And you find yourself now with a new desire to cry out in repentance of your sin. If that is you today, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So God planned our salvation we learn in Genesis 3:15. But secondly and finally for this morning, God promises our savior in Genesis 3:15. God promises our savior. Not only does God say that he will create enmity between Satan and the woman, that being the first woman Eve, but he goes on to say that this enmity will also be between your offspring And her offspring. This hostility will continue down through the generations to come until at last God is saying there will come one offspring of Eve who will bruise the head of the serpent even as the serpent bruises the heel of that one offspring. And we'll think more, God willing, this evening about that conflict, that bruising between the offspring of Eve and of the serpent. Uh, The word here for bruised... (coughs) could also mean crushed or battered. He will batter or bruise your head. He will crush your head. And you will bruise his heel. Now, of course, the heel is a very sensitive part of the body, but it's much worse if you have your head crushed or bruised than to have your heel crushed or bruised. And that's what's going to happen to the serpent. He's going to be completely destroyed. His head is going to be smashed. He is going to be crushed and defeated. And friends, this becomes then the story of the whole Bible. It's all leading towards the arrival of this one offspring of Eve. And the serpent knows from this moment forward that his enemy is coming, that there is going to be one offspring of Eve who will destroy him. And so what does the serpent do? He tries to destroy the woman's offspring first. The serpent from now on watches out for any sign of the serpent crusher coming. And he tries to eliminate him before he gets a chance to crush the head of the serpent. (coughs) This conflict begins immediately in the very next chapter of our Bibles. If you look at Genesis chapter 4, it's a well-known story. The tragic story of Cain murdering his brother Abel. And Genesis 4, verse 7 says that sin was crouching at Cain's door. Friends, the very first baby boy born in the history of the world was offspring of the serpent. And he lashes out and he murders the offspring of the woman, Abel. Why? Because the serpent is worried. Maybe this is him. Maybe this is the one who will crush my head. And so Cain becomes a murderer and murders his brother Abel. As a result, God gives Eve another son, Seth, and through Seth, the offspring of the woman continues. Genesis 17, verse 7 then tells us that it will be through the offspring of Abraham in particular, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed, that the Savior will come through Abraham's line. And so what does, this, what does the serpent do? He targets the offspring of Abraham. The book of Exodus tells us about Pharaoh trying to murder all the baby boys of Israel, the offspring of Abraham. By the way, one of the most popular symbols used by the Pharaohs at that time was the symbol of the snake. There was Satan hiding in plain sight, trying to slaughter any potential serpent crushers before they were even born. Fast forward several centuries, and King David is on his throne a great king ruling over God's chosen people, the offspring of Abraham. And God promises David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. God promises David, one of your sons will reign forever. The serpent crusher will be a son of David as well as a son of Abraham and of Eve. And so now Satan the serpent knows to look out for a son of David, and he targets the offspring of David. Second Kings chapter eleven verse one tells us that a wicked woman named Athaliah, <coughs> excuse me a wicked woman named Athaliah. Athaliah at one point tries to wipe out the entire royal family of David's descendants. She kills all of the royal family except one baby boy, Joash. Second 2 Kings 11 tells us how Joash was kept safe and eventually put on the throne of his ancestor David. And various other threats come against the line of David. Centuries later, Jerusalem is overthrown. The Jews are almost entirely destroyed. A remnant of them are taken to Babylon and to Persia. You can read about it in the books of Daniel and Esther. And time and time again, it seems as though God's people will be destroyed. It seems as though the serpent is going to wipe out the offspring of Eve. But he never quite manages it. And God keeps promising. He keeps reminding his people through his messengers, the prophets, (coughs) that the Savior, the Liberator, the King is coming. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. There is still one son of David to come, Isaiah says, who will put everything right. And the prophets keep reminding God's people of this all through the centuries, and God's people remind themselves about this through the songs that they sing in praise to God. Psalm 89, which we'll sing ourselves in a few moments. Psalm 89, verse 23. I will what? I will crush his foes. That's the foes of the Son of David. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. Satan knows these words. He's watching out for the one coming who will rule and reign and crush his head. The centuries go by, everyone keeps waiting. And then eventually as paul says in galatians 4 verse 4 when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman the offspring of the woman god didn't mention adam in genesis 3:15 which, which is unusual if you read through the bible every so often you find lots of lists of names And they're always according to the fathers, the men. It's almost always men's names that you find in those family trees in Scripture. But the man isn't mentioned in Genesis 3.15. It was the offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And at just the right time, Jesus Christ comes. Offspring, as one song says, of the virgin's womb. And what does Satan do then? He targets the offspring of the virgin's womb. King Herod slaughters all the baby boys of Bethlehem under two years old. Joseph and Mary and their baby son escape to Egypt and eventually live in Nazareth. And the Gospels tell us, Luke: 252, that Jesus grew up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Here's the offspring of the woman who, unlike the first woman and unlike the first man, is obedient. He doesn't sin. He's a chosen son of David, a son of Abraham, a son of God. He is the one, as we'll consider more this evening, who will crush the serpent's head. Now you might be thinking, do you really see all of this in Genesis 3 verse 15? Did Adam and Eve see all of this? Did they understand all of this? Did they know everything that was going to happen just because of what God said here in Genesis 3, verse 15? Well, most likely, no, they did not understand it all. They didn't know all the details of everything that was going to happen. But friends, they understood enough. They understood that someone would come who would destroy the serpent. Adam and Eve were saved by faith just as we today are saved by faith. The only difference is that they looked forward in faith to everything that still had to happen. We today can look back in faith at what has happened and even look, look ahead at Christ to come again. Again, the Reverend Donnelly gave a very helpful illustration on this point. He says, imagine you're looking into the distance, right into a sunrise or a, or a sunset, and the light of the sun is hitting you full in the face And someone is coming towards you over the hill as you look into the sun. And because the sun is in front of you, you can't properly see the person. You can only see kind of an outline of them. I suppose it's a bit like when some of us go on Zoom, and uh, some of us perhaps, some people are very good at getting the perfect lighting for Zoom. Other people, the sun's blazing in behind them, and all you see is this black outline of a person. And as, as the person comes closer and closer to you, you understand that you see a little bit more and a little bit more of what they look like and, and, and what, who they are. And then eventually the person walks right past you and, and the sun now is at your back and you can see them perfectly. You can see who they really are. And today, friends, you and I, we can look at Jesus with the full light of the New Testament shining upon him. The one who was a long way off in the time of Adam and Eve just a dark outline to Adam and Eve, we see him clearly. We see him in 4K high definition. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Friends, the serpent crusher was promised and the serpent crusher has come. And we'll think more about the conflict that he went through, the pain and suffering that he had to endure for our salvation this evening but we know that in the end, he ultimately triumphed. He succeeded where Adam and Eve failed. He never rebelled against his father, never became a friend of Satan. He is our serpent crusher. This is the one great story of the whole Bible. There really is darkness and light. There really is good and evil. There really is one hero who has defeated the villain. There may be some things in the Bible that are hard to understand, but this is what it's really all about. And as someone said in our Bible study last Wednesday night, we need to keep on looking at Jesus. Amid all the noise and nonsense of this silly pride-celebrating, baby-killing, fear-mongering society that we live in, where the serpent is still tempting and biting at our heels, We need to keep looking at Jesus, the offspring of the woman, the son of David, the son of God, who lived without sin, who has taken the punishment that our sins deserved, who was dead and who now is alive forevermore, who has crushed Satan on our behalf. The only question for you today is whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the serpent crusher? Have you cried out in repentance and faith for your sin to be forgiven? Are you an enemy of God? Or are you a child of God and an enemy of the serpent? Amen.